Amen. Welcome to Nidri Community Church again. If you don't know who I am, my name is Andy. I'm one of the pastors here at Nidri Community Church. And if you're new with us this morning, um, we are going through the book of Genesis in our sermon series. And I invite you to turn to that passage now with me as we look at Genesis chapter 10 together. And as always, it's going to be important to have the text in front of you so you can see that what I'm sharing is from his word and not my own thoughts. Uh, Genesis 10. I'm going to read this together. There's going to be a lot of funny names in this chapter. A lot of us are going to be thinking, what is this doing in the Bible and what's going on and why are we looking at it? But hopefully, um, as I spend some time explaining it, you'll help, it'll help you see how important this chapter is in the Bible. As we know here, all of the Bible is God's word, isn't it? Every single word. And so it's important that we go through the whole Bible, not just avoid the things that we don't like and the things that are tricky. So let's read this together. And there'll be lots of good baby names for some of us to think through in the future uh, in this chapter. So these are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. Sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tiraz. Sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Ripath, and Togamath. Sons of Javan, Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, Kittim, and Dodanim. From these, the coastland people spread in their lands, each with his own language, by their clans and their nations. The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. Sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, Sabda, Ramah, and Sabdeka. Sons of Ramah, Sheba, and Dedan. Cush, father Nimrod, he was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kalna, in the land of Shinar. From that land he went to Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehobam, Ir, and Kala, and Rezan between Nineveh and Kala. That is the great city. Egypt fathered Ludim, Ananim, Lehabim, Naphtuim, Parush, Kausahim, from whose the Philistines came, and Kafor Tirin. Canaan fathered Sidon in his firstborn in Heth, and the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Gergesites, the, Jev- the Hivites, the Archites, the Sunites, the Arvadites, the Zemorites, and the Hamathites. Afterwards, the clans of the Canaanites dispersed, and the territory of the Canaanites extended from Sidon in the direction of Gerar as far as Gaza, in the direction of Sodom, Gomorrah, Admat, and Zeboim, as far as Lasha. These are the sons of Ham. By their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. To Shem also the father of all the children of Eber. The elder brother Japheth, children were born. The sons of Shem, Elam, Asher, Arpachshad, Lut, and Aram. The sons of Aram, Uz, Hul, Gether, and Mash. Arpachshad, father Shelah, and Shelah fathered Eber. To Eber were born two sons. The name of the one was Peleg. And in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. Joktan fathered Almadad, Sheleth, Hazamatheth, Jerah, Hadorim, Uzal, Dikla, Obal, Abimel, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Jobab. All these were the sons of Joktan. 
The territory in which they lived extended from Mesha in the direction of Sephar, on the hill country of the east. These are the sons of Shem. By their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. These are the clans of Noah, according to their genealogies and their nations. And from these, the nations spread abroad on the earth above after the flood. Amen? I deserve a round of applause for that. Come on. <laughs> I have no idea if I said any of those names correctly, but you do it correctly, you do it confidently, and all you think that's the way it's pronounced. So, <laughs> Sorry if I offended any culture in this room in the way that I just pronounced those names. Let's pray and ask for God's help. Dear Lord, thank you for the, your words. Thank you that it's perfect, and thank you that we can learn something from even a, a chapter that seems to be so far removed from our from our world today. Help us to understand your word and would you speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So finding out your DNA and family history has become quite big money these days. Uh, People want to find out who they are, uh, where they've come from, and particularly these days if they're connected to anyone famous. Uh, Maybe have some royalty in the blood or whatever. Uh, A recent story tells us in America, that a lady sent in her DNA test to find out a little bit about her background and family history. Uh, she thought when she put the DNA test in that she was an Irish-American. But she was shocked when it came back that she was Jewish, Middle Eastern, and Eastern European, all in the mixer. After a bit of digging around, she found out that her father was not actually the biological son of her grandparents, After a bit more digging around, she found out that her father had actually been sent home with the wrong family at the hospital, and so had a completely different ancestry. So that's a bit of a shock from the hospital, isn't it? Sending the wrong baby home with the wrong family. And she found out who her real family was, and that she wasn't Irish-American, she was actually Middle Eastern. Well, as we get to Genesis 10, we find out a little bit about our family history. In fact, we see where all the nations of the world come from, including us, because this chapter is actually called the Table of Nations. The Table of Nations. Genesis 10 is a very accurate document that explains where all the nations of the world came from. And therefore, it's just a list of names to us, but it's actually an important list of names for us to understand. As I said at the beginning, usually we get to this kind of chapter in the Bible, maybe in our quiet times, and we kind of skip over it. It's interesting that when you go on to like, um, different churches and the sermons they've done, it's very hard to find a preacher who's actually preached on this passage, because it's one that is often skipped over. It's like, it's a list of names. How could that be uh, uh, relevant to my life today? As so we think, it's a bit boring, it's a bit difficult, we'll skip over it. However, this list is actually an important list. Like I said, it's called the Table of Nations. And it acts as a transition from Genesis 1 to 9 and that story of Noah and the flood into Abraham and his life story and the promises that come to him. And this chapter helps explain why the world around us is more united than it thinks it is and yet more divided than ever. In other words, this chapter connects Genesis together, it connects the Bible together, and as always, it's a list that leads into the line of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So this chapter is going to answer three questions for us today. 
First question, why are we similar as humans? Second question, why are we so different? And second, uh, thirdly, how God intends to bring his people together. So answers three questions. Why are we similar? Why are we different? And how God intends to bring us together as his people. Okay? So first question this chapter answers is why we are similar. These, this chapter shows us where all of us, no matter what our background, come from. Remember the world was created by God, and the first humans were Adam and Eve. And then when the humans increased in number, God sent a flood, as we learned about a couple of weeks ago, and he wiped out all of humanity and left Noah and his family. So this text is reminding us that we can trace our family history all the way back to Noah himself after the floods. Just go back to chapter 9, verse 19. It says these, this. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Look at the beginning of chapter 10. These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, Japheth, sons that were born to them after the floods. And look at verse 32. These are the clans of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies and their nations. And from these, the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. Three times the same point is made. This table of nations is a summary of the original peoples and nations who spread throughout the whole world. From Noah and his sons, the rest of the world was formed with all its cultures and all its languages and all the nations that we have today. It all came from this one chapter. And it's interesting the amount of names that are on the list. Anyone want to guess how many names are on the list? That's not a rhetorical question. Anyone want to give me a guess who's not come to this chapter before? What have we got, Benny? 35? More? 96, less than 96, less, more than 68, so more, less than 75, minus 5, 70. 70, there we go. There are 70 names on the list. The sentence of Japheth are 14, Ham's list, um, 30, and then Shem's 26, which gives you a grand total of 70. And do you know why that's an important number in the Bible? Because the number 70 is a number that represents fullness. Number 7, number 10, 7 times 10 equals 70. The list has been put specifically down in this order, and these people have been specifically chosen to represent the nations of the world. And we'll come back to that number later on. And so these verses are showing us that there's a unity to the human race. Despite our many differences today, we all share the same father, Noah. We're one big family. We all come from the same stock. We're more alike than we are different. This is how Acts 17:26, this is Paul preaching, puts it. From one man, 
he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. That means there's a traceable history back to Noah and his sons, and therefore there's a unity between us. We're all made in the image of God, and we can all trace our family history back to Noah. There's a phrase that's often used in there, who's your daddy? That's used, who's your daddy? Or who's our daddy? Our great, 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 daddy is Noah himself. That's important for us to understand, because if there is no unity between the human race, we don't share that common ancestry, then we don't have to treat people equally. It means it's the survival of the fittest and the weakest we can shun, and we can treat people differently with prejudice. That's how people have treated one another down the centuries. However, we're united, and we come from the same line, and we're all made in the image of God, then it means that we treat one another with respect, no matter what the ethnic background is that we come from. Because we descend, ultimately, from the same family tree. There's no room for racism in the church. There should be no room for racism in the world. There should be no room for bigotry. Sometimes we can be quite suspicious, can't we, of people who are very different to us. However, this text reminds us of an essential unity between the human race. We're not loyal to our, our ethnicity first. But as Christians, we are united by being loyal to the Lord Jesus Christ, over and above being Scottish or English or British or wherever we are from in the world. Our loyalty is not to our nation first and foremost. Our loyalty is to the Lord Jesus Christ and the fact that we're united through him. So we're similar. Second question that this text answers is, why are we different then? We all come from the same family tree. Why are we so different? Just look around the room. We're so different, aren't we, from one another? The world is a diverse place, isn't it? With many cultures, many languages, many customs, many different lands. Why is that if we've come from the same stock? Well, the reason is because the sons of Noah spread throughout the world. Did you notice that the genealogy or this list of names is split into three? Sons of Japheth, sons of Ham, and the sons of Shem. Japheth and his family moved to the north of Moses' world, to the coastal regions in the Mediterranean. They founded the Greek civilization and the Scythian civilization, who settled actually in Ukraine and Russia. So Japheth's children basically settled and formed what is modern Europe today. It's interesting, for example, that the name in verse 3, did you notice it? It's Ashkenaz. And that name is still used to describe Jews living in Germany today. They're called the Ashkenazi Jews. And so there's a lineage there all the way back to this chapter. Same with the word Magog in Russia. That's also a name that is used uh, in Russia today. All tracing lineage back to this chapter. Ham's children in verses 6 to 20, well, they moved south 
of Moses' world. And they formed parts of northern Africa and the kingdoms of Egypt and Assyria and Babylon. And Shem and his descendants settled around the Persian Gulf, Iran and Saudi Arabia. And it's from this tribe that the people of Israel were formed. You'll notice that one of the children is called Eber in verse 21. You probably skipped over it. But that name Eber is important because that is translated as Hebrew. So Eber here is the father of the Hebrew nation, the Israelites. So why are we so different? Because people moved about the place. And that's the way that God intended it to be. In fact, the fact that there are loads of languages and the fact that there's loads of cultures and the fact that there's loads of lands and cuisines and different ways of seeing the world is both a blessing from God and also a judgment from God. It's a blessing because God always intended there to be diversity in the world that we live in. He appointed for people to live in certain places around the world. Did you notice the repeated phrase in verse 5 and 20 and 31? These are the sons of whoever, by their clans, their languages, their lands and their nations. People spread over the world. Deuteronomy 32 verse 8 says this, When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. And in Acts 17, back to our text that Paul preaches from in verse 26, he says, From one man he made all the nations, they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. In other words, we are different because God intended it that way to be. He's marked out different lands and he's appointed the people's boundaries. He's placed them in the places that they find themselves in, including us. But notice, it's not all good in the text as well. Notice that Moses slows down at two points in the text. First time he slows down in verses 9 to 10. And we find out about this funny named man called Nimrod. Did you see that in verse 9? He was the first on earth to be a mighty warrior. And then he slows down in verse 25 to a man called Peleg. Why does he slow down to these two names? Well, Nimrod is focused on because he's a man who rebels against the Lord. Verse 9 tells us that he became a mighty warrior. And it sounds like Moses is praising Nimrod here. But in fact, Nimrod's name literally translates as we will rebel. We will rebel. And he basically builds kingdoms that will rebel against the Lord and his peoples. Did you notice that in that list of names, that the names come up again and again in the Old Testament specifically as God's enemies or God's people's enemies. Verse 11 mentions Assyria and Nineveh. Verse 13 mentions Egypt and the Philistines. Verses 15 to 18 mentions Canaanites and all the surrounding tribes who Joshua had to uh, chuck out of the promised land before they moved in. Mentions Sodom and Gomorrah, which is a place of great sin, which we'll come to in the book of Genesis later on. 
In other words, it's interesting that from Ham's line, which is the cursed line, and particular Nimrod's kingdoms, that is where the Israelites' greatest enemies come from. I mean, the sad reality is that Nimrod is Ham's grandson. Why is that sad? Because Ham had experienced the flood. And Ham must have told his son and his grandson all about the judgment of God and what happens when you sin against the Holy One of Israel. A flood came, didn't it? I mean, how quick is it that from Ham to his son to his grandson is another man suddenly rebelling against the God and putting two fingers up against God and his will for his life? So quick. One generation, two generations, and suddenly they've forgotten about the judgment of God and the salvation of Noah and his family. That can be like us, can't it? We taste the sting of sin in our lives, and we felt the consequences, and yet like a dog that returns to its vomit, we go back to it, even though we know it's going to harm us and the people around us. We're warned of the consequences of sin in our lives, and yet, what do we do? We touch it, and we feel it, and we ignore the advice that's given to us. We hear about the goodness of God on a Sunday, and how he's faithful, and that he has all things in his hands, and yet, we forget it the next day as we crash back into reality, and the anxieties and worries that are going on in our lives. We know that Christ is going to return one day and we know that we have been warned about it and it's a certain reality and yet we get on with life like it's going to be, like it's never going to happen. As humans, we're just like Nimrod, aren't we? We're fickle, we're unstable, we are changeable. But notice the second name in the text, in verse 25, a man called Peleg. What does Moses say about Peleg? He says... That in his days, the earth was divided. What's that all about? Why is the earth divided? What's he talking about there? Well, he's getting us ready for the next chapter and the Tower of Babel, which we're going to look at next week when Mez comes to bring that to us. You see, the text is actually back to front. Chapter 11 actually comes back uh, first before chapter 10, and then chapter 10 should come after chapter 11. But for some reason, Moses has put it in this order for a reason. I think to show us that the nation spreading is both a blessing because, as I said, it's good that people spread all over the world, but it's also a judgment because the people come together to rebel against God. And so God, in his judgment, confuses their languages and disperses them because they get too comfortable. But what is important for us to understand, we'll look at the Tower of Babel next week, but what is important for us to understand this morning is that diversity in culture, diversity in the lands, diversity even in our names, diversity in the foods we eat was all part of God's plan before the judgment. It's a blessing to be part of a world full of variety and diversity, isn't it? That's the way the Lord intended it to be. And that's really important for the people of Israel to understand. Because remember, the people of Israel thought they were God's special people. And they were God's special people. 
but they thought they were better than everybody else. And so God puts in his very own word in the very first book of the Bible, no, I am the God not just of Israel, but I'm the God of the world who holds all things in his hands. I'm the God of the Jews and I'm the God of the Gentiles too. And we know the same today as well. God's plan has always been to save a people from himself, from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and people group. And how do we know? You just have to fast forward to the book of Revelation. And we have this beautiful picture in chapter 7, verses 9 to 11. It says this. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to the Lord who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. In the new heavens and the new earth, we will be worshipping God with every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language. In other words, there's going to be Scottish voices in heaven. <laughs> there's going to be Irish voices in heaven. There will be Nigerian voices in heaven. There will be Polish voices in heaven. There will be Russian voices in heaven. There will be Ukrainian voices in heaven. There will be American voices in heaven. There will be Greek voices in heaven. There will be Chinese voices in heaven. And Korean and Brazilian and even Argentinian and South American and Australian and so on and so forth. All praising the Lamb who was slain. Isn't that an amazing picture to think about? So that brings us to our final question. How will God bring that together? We're united through Noah, the same family group, but we're different because we've been spread out throughout the world. How is God going to bring us together? How is God going to save a people for himself? Well, the clue is in Shem's line that you might have missed as you were reading through. Remember, Shem has a son called Eber. Eber is the father of the Hebrew nation. Now just jump with me to the next chapter in your Bibles, over the page. And you'll notice that the Tower of Babel comes next, and we'll read about that next week. And then we have another list of names that Moses goes back into as Shem's descendants. And we find out that Eber has a son called Peleg. In his days, the world was divided. And then Peleg fathered a guy called Ru. And Ru fathered a guy called Serug. And Serug fathered a guy called Nahor. Nahor fathers a guy called Terah. And Terah has a son called Abram. Terah has a son called Abram. Who later becomes or is renamed Abraham. And it is through Abraham's line that God promises to bless the nations of the world. It is through Abraham's line 
that the promised serpent crusher will come. It is through Abraham's line that our saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, will come. God promises in Genesis 12, just a chapter or two after chapter 10, that God will bless every tongue and every nation through Abraham's seed. And it's amazing how through the book of Genesis, God keeps his promise from Genesis 3, verse 15, right through Genesis, right through the Old Testament, into the New Testament, into today. Because God promises to bless the world through Seth, and then Peleg, and then Abraham, and Isaac, and then Jacob, and then Judah, and so on and so forth. And that's an amazing thing to think about, because God's promise comes despite the rebellion of his people. God's promise comes despite there being so many uh, sinful people around, despite all the madness that goes on in Genesis. And there is a lot of madness that goes on. All around God's promises, there is sin and rebellion and rejection of him. And as you walk through Genesis, you can think, what's going on? Sodom and Gomorrah, what's that all about? Lot sleeping with his daughter. Jacob being a trickster. Joseph going off into slavery because his, his, his brothers are mad jealous of him. The people ending up in slavery. And you're thinking all the way through, you're reading Genesis and you're reading Exodus and you're going on. The people in exile, you're thinking, what is going on, God? Do you know what you're doing? Are you going to keep your promise from Genesis 3.15 that you're going to bring a people to yourself and you're going to crush Satan's head and you're going to forgive us our sins? And yet all the way through, even in chapter 10, with this list of crazy names that we know nothing about, here in the text is the promised saviour. Here in the text is the promised seed to come. Because God always has a plan. God always knows what he's doing. And God always fulfills his promises, no matter what it looks like on the ground to us. And what's interesting to me is that the number 70 comes up again a couple of times in Scripture. In our table today, I said there were 70 nations or peoples listed. Represents totality, as I said. At the end of Genesis, we are told that 70 of Abraham's seed head to Egypt. An exact parallel to the nations. So here we have all the nations of the world, and yet through Abraham... God is going to bless the nations and it's from Abraham's seed that 70 go down to Egypt and form the people of Israel. Moses in Genesis is taking very careful care to let us know that God has a very special role and a plan for Eber and Peleg and Abraham's seed to bring blessing not just to the people of Israel, not just to the people of Eber, but to the people of the world. Yes, they're going to head into slavery in Egypt. Yes, they're going to be freed. Yes, they're going to be in exile. Yes, they're going to be moved about the place. And yet it's through this seed that God is going to bring his promised saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's interesting to me that when you get to Luke 10, how many disciples did Jesus send out? 70. Here's the thing, the answer for the world that is so 
united on one level and yet so divided on another, the answer is Jesus. We are divided by our sin. We are divided by our culture. We are divided by our languages sometimes. And yet when we bow the knee to King Jesus, we become part of a family that is above our heads. That comes through that ultimate seed, Abraham, Jesus Christ. And so we might be different to each other in the world. We might be different to each other in this church. We might be different to each other in this community. And yet we all have the same opportunity to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you become part of his family, heading towards heaven together, united as his people, standing in the fight against sin and preaching the gospel to the world. When I went to Brazil to visit Daniel and his church, I had more in common with Danielle and the church out there than I did with my next door neighbor who speaks the same language as me. No idea what they were saying half the time. Danielle did some translation. When I went to South Africa, I went to a completely different land, a different continent. And I got to worship with God's people there. And again, I had more in common with the people there than I did with the guy who lives across the road from me. Why? Because we worship the same saviour, because we're heading in the same direction, because their God is my God, and their saviour is my saviour, and we admit together we are sinners, and it was saved by Jesus Christ. Paul, in that speech that I've been reading out throughout the sermon, says this, from one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. God's not far from any of us. He wants us to seek him. And when we seek him, he comes to rescue us and to save us from our sins. God's plan of salvation is not just for us, it's for the world. He wants to save a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. So it's our job to go out from this place, filled up by the Spirit, to go out into the world and preach the gospel to whoever we meet, so that more might be saved and meet the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.